Okay, is it just me or is talking about money with your partner something that's super hard to do? It feels like opening a Pandora's box of issues about autonomy and fairness, philosophy, and all kinds of family of origin baggage. When I met Tamazin Thomas and found her podcast called The Psychology of Money, I couldn't believe there was someone out there doing therapy and marriage counseling about this exact issue, and I couldn't wait to get her on the podcast to share her expertise. Here she is. Oh, and please pardon the sound quality. I had technical issues about equalizing the volume between the two of us, so my apologies about that. Tracy here. Welcome to season two of the Essential Stepmom podcast. Unconventional advice and inspiration about the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. Why unconventional? Because statistics show that nearly three quarters of step families don't last more than five years. So the conventional wisdom, the general consensus, the status quo are all leading stepmoms straight for the gutter. In this podcast, we look outside the box for better answers, for counterintuitive strategies to help us fight the instincts that don't serve us well, and to grow a new parenting reflex that really supports us and everyone else on this crazy journey. This season will feature interviews with some of the most interesting people I know, sharing their outside-the-box expertise as it applies specifically to step families. You're going to hear about modern Buddhism in step parenting, the stress around money in step parenting, new perspectives and insights about bio moms, how to deal with the prospect of never having a child of your own, coping with burnout and adrenal exhaustion, and using the challenges of step parenting to truly become that better version of yourself. So Tamsin, welcome. Thank you so much for for being here today. I, I really, really appreciate you doing this for my listeners. I'm going to let you just introduce yourself so that I don't botch it up, but you have some amazing credentials to bring to this. So um, go ahead and tell us <laughs> about you. yourself. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Thanks so much for having me, Tracy. I am, I'm Tamison Thomas and I am, am a therapist now, but I had a 20 year career in finance and business. And so I had a CPA background. I was a licensed financial planner. And when I was sitting and working with married couples doing financial planning, they would often get into massive arguments in my office. And finally this became such a norm and such a pattern that I asked people, why, why here? Why now? Why get in these arguments in my office? And they would say, well, at home, it doesn't feel safe. And I would say, sure, fair enough. What about in your therapist's office? And they would say, well, our therapist doesn't know how to engage issues of money. And I thought, aha, uh-huh, but you're not fighting about money. And my mm-hmm. client would always say, yes, we are. And I would say, no, you're not. You know? <laughs> yeah. so I think that's where I really began to reconnect. I'd always loved psychology and money my whole life, but that's where I began to reconnect with my love of psychology. And so I gave up a very lucrative um, financial planning practice and I moved halfway across the United States to get a master's in psychology so that I could help people and help specifically couples really begin to identify 
the issues that were occurring below the surface that were simply getting projected onto money. And so now I have a um, therapy private practice in Bellevue, Washington, where I do weekly therapy sessions, but also intensives, one and two week intensives for people that are out of the state or out of the country. And um, I love being able to combine both of those two worlds. So thanks for having me on the show. And I'm really thrilled to be here. Well, this is very cool because boy, do we have issues about money. Huh? I was, yeah, I, before, we, before we started recording here today, I just said like, if, you know, if, if so many couples have trouble um, in their relationship around issues of money, in a blended family, in a second family, it just is so compounded because so many of these families are dealing with child support payments, with alimony payments, and the resentment of the, the stepmom in this situation is that her standard of living is really being very materially impacted by the ongoing obligations of her husband to his ex-partner and to the, the expense of maintaining two households for his mm -hmm. kids, which is what he has to be a part of. There are lots of women in my listening audience and in my Facebook group who, um, you know, whose husbands are paying upwards of 50% of their take home income to another household. So, you know, and in many cases there's bankruptcy happening because of, because of those obligations, because of, because of court orders, because of um, even the, the whole, the whole system of assigning that kind of responsibility and how judges often just, um, you know, choose a number that doesn't maybe reflect what someone is earning this year, but, but was reflected in their last year's taxes. And now it becomes really hard to pay when job situations have changed. So there's so much um, tension and, and resentment and insecurity around money that I'm, I think everybody's going to be really glad to hear um, your advice about this. Well, I hope so, but they also might not be. Yeah. <laughs> what we might end up doing is illuminating the complexity. You know, I hope to give some insights and some tips and, um, tips and tricks but also, I think my hope is really to validate how incredibly complex this is and really to illuminate from a psychological lens why it is so complex. So maybe, Tracy, this might be the first conversation. You know, yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe we end up doing something where it's a few conversations. Oh, I would um, love that. You know, but I definitely hope to give something. I hope to be of service and, and help today, but I also want to make room for the fact that this is it is a really big deal and it is some really complex material. So, um, so my, my question for you is where might it be helpful to begin? Well, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about, um, about your experience in yeah. okay. when, when you say, you know, that people think they're fighting about money and they're really not. Mm -hmm. You know, what say a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what I've seen with couples over the years in engaging conflict, but specifically engaging financial conflict, is that my belief is that issues about money are never solely about money. And so oftentimes, especially as a financial planner, when, it, when couples would come into my office 
and fight about money, what I saw over and over again was that they were actually trying to work out issues of identity or self-worth or trying to understand their value or trying to cultivate a sense of self or a sense of identity within the marriage. And so, for instance, let's just say um, a husband really wanted a BMW, but a wife was really concerned with the price, the monthly price of that BMW. Um, maybe her concern was, oh, we've got kids, and perhaps some of that money could go to piano lessons or something else, something that, mm -hmm. would, that would nurture and cultivate their um, growing and developing brain. Well, for the husband, there is some validity in being the, so the provider of a family and wanting to have a thing that is yours and wanting to have a, a space that is yours. And for many men, that was their car. Mm -hmm. And so they really wanted to have a very nice car. But what was also occurring is they wanted something that they could identify with. They wanted something that was an extension of their perceived worth right in other words mm -hmm. if they didn't have the beamer their fear was that they weren't worth anything or that they wouldn't be respected so it, it that beamer became an extension of them does that make sense yeah and where oftentimes the wife or you know even in a same-sex marriage somehow this always happened too um she may not have understood that and so in her mind it didn't financially compute to spend an extra couple hundred dollars a month on a BMW when you could have the same nice car in an Acura or Suburban or Subaru or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. um, and so they ultimately, you know, someone didn't know how to say, this feels like you're not respecting or it feels like I'm not worth anything or it feels like I'm just a paycheck, you know? Yeah. And at the same time, is that something that can really be fixed in a beamer and i would argue that what we tend to do emotionally is we try to fill emotional voids with material things right so ultimately the bmw is not going to solve the issue of an identity or of trying to grow a sense of self but we don't realize that and so we end up getting the nicer car or the nicer house or the nicer wardrobe or put our kids into the nicer school even when we can't afford it because underneath that we are trying to fill an emotional void that will never be filled with a material thing. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, re I remember um, a wonderful story from um, the book uh, by Gay Hendricks called The Big Leap. Do you know The Big Leap? Vaguely oh, familiar. It's a, it's a wonderful book. Um, but he recalls, uh, he's also a, a therapist psychologist and he recalls um, uh, working with a couple the husband was a multi-millionaire businessman and one of the issues that he fought all the time with his wife about was the fact that she insisted on buying like the most luxurious kind of toilet paper and it just really irked him that they were going through so much toilet paper and it was like the most expensive brand and it seems ridiculous to say, well, but you have so much money. But from his point of view, it was like needless spending and that she was just irritating him by, by you know, 
buying this product that was, you know, ridiculously more expensive than the other brands. And uh, what, what Gay Hendricks did was walk him through an exercise where he understood that the lifetime expenditure of this toilet paper was much less than, you know, the daily fluctuation of this guy's fortune that just by the, you know, by market forces of the investments or whatever, like he was completely okay with making or losing vast amounts of money a day because that was just what happened. And yet in the context of his wife spending a much smaller amount of money over their whole lifetime together on toilet paper, it was causing him a lot of anguish. And that was how they started to unravel the fact that it, it really wasn't about money. It was about something quite different. So I think it's really important for everybody to be able to, to look at their money issues and say, you know, there's definitely something more important to me behind this than, than the dollars. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great example. Yeah. It can be very, very, it can be very, very, very minute or quote unquote silly. I know in my podcast, I know Tracy that, you know, I do the psychology of money mm -hmm. podcast. And I think in episode season one um, or season two, there was a woman who was on the podcast who was terrified she would not be able to afford lattes. She was going through a divorce <sighs> and she was financially responsible for the very first time in her life. And she knew she could pay the rent. She knew she could do pay the groceries and the insurance, but she was terrified that she was not going to be able to afford the latte. And for some reason, huh. that was like waking her up at night. And it wow. came and she said, like, I, this feels so silly. Like she said, I'm so embarrassed to talk about this, but I suspect it has more more is going on for me and sure enough it was significantly more so i think you know one of the things i would really encourage listeners to do is those tiny things that rub against you that you may feel like are so silly or you may want to judge or dismiss because you feel embarrassed for acknowledging that they actually matter to you try to not try to not dismiss them. Try instead to maybe care for them and engage them and to be curious about it. What is this concern that's going on around the toilet paper? You know, what is this concern that I have around my lattes? Like what might be happening for me in that, that I'm so terrified of this expense that's just pennies, but is really causing quite a bit of angst within me. That's, that is just a great first step in just even being able to engage some of these difficult conflict, um, matters. Yeah. Um, I think also, you know, there's a lot to be said for the, the predicament of uh, the dads in my listening audience who are really caught in between two households where one is, you know, an ex-wife who's entitled to X number of dollars from your income for an extended number of years because of the age of the kids that you have. And between that and your present partner uh, and family, sometimes there are even new kids involved. And as you said, uh, uh, guys are um, very identified as providers. Um, I mean, for a lot of men, it's a very important part of their identity to be a provider. And they feel very much uh, torn between... Um, you know, the obligation that they have to send a certain amount of money a month to 
another household and what they would wish to be able to provide for their own household that they just can't because they're, um, I mean, it, it's not even a number of dollars. It's usually a percentage of income that is um, decided that needs to be, needs to be spent there. So um, I, I think that there's um, potentially a lot of anguish around the, um, the identity piece, feeling, you know, feeling not good enough in either direction sometimes because the, often the ex-wife feels that she's not getting enough to provide what, what she needs for her kids and the present wife also feels that there's not enough to be able to have the standard of living that, that would make her feel comfortable what, wherever that is from, you know, from low to high. But it's a tough place to be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I would love to know if you um, have any advice that you offer couples uh, around the, the, the idea of having separate finances in any way, separate bank accounts or separate savings places or, you know, how do you feel about that? Is it, is it helpful or just, does it just divide, divide things even more or does it keep people from, uh, you know, working out things that they should be doing by, you know, by giving them an opportunity to, to hoard and feel like that's, you know, helping matters? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think you nailed it, even within your question <laughs> is, um, you know, from a psychological perspective, often how we engage issues of money is actually kind of a magnifying glass for the entire relationship. And so if a couple has separate bank accounts, um, you know, on the surface, there's a divide there. There's distance there. There is um, some, some complexity in, in try, perhaps trying to be individuated in the midst of being within a couple. Mm -hmm. But with finances, once you get married, what I've seen work really well is that there is actually a joint, everything sort of joint. The problem is to get to that point is a ton of work mm -hmm. because you have to be very, very specific about where you're spending money and how you're spending it. You have to create a system where you guys are on, able to record things without necessarily having to talk to each other. Um, and then you have to live within that. And so that amount of work, like you said, sometimes keeping separate bank accounts creates an avoidance of hard work we should be doing. Mm -hmm. Because that work is not only difficult, like logically or technically, but emotionally having those conversations with your spouse is like people would rather swim with sharks, you know? <laughs> like they just are gonna like run for the hills. Like yeah. they would rather do anything else but have a conversation with their loved one about money. And both because of the conflict that may occur between the couple, but also the visceral internal angst that will come up within them that they will do anything to avoid. So it is absolutely both and what's happening for you and what's also happening for the other and then what's happening in between. 
Um, I will say this season three of my podcast is a little bit different because it does give a step-by-step on how to get couples on the same page within their finances. There's shorter episodes um, that we can also talk about that in detail, Tracy. I do have some suggestions, although I think it would be too much for today. Um, but that is the first thing I would say is when you have separate bank accounts, although the intention of that might be trying to simplify some of the complexity. What I've seen over and over again is that the impact of that actually multiplies the conflict and creates more distance within the relationship and really lends itself to avoiding very difficult conversations, which ultimately multiplies the angst and the unknown. Um, it is hard to have these conversations and to be honest about how you were feeling or what you were thinking. But what I've seen over and over again with works with couples is that once someone is honest, there is a relief in that. If both couples can be honest in a way that cultivates and invites intimacy, there is a grounding in that. Then they have room to negotiate. But if one couple is, um, take kind of taking over all of the space emotionally speaking or explodes when this topic comes up then the other person is going to want to shrink into a corner and just be real passive and say anything it they need to say in order to like survive the storm and we feel that on an unconscious level we feel when someone is not being honest with us on an unconscious level and so um being honest tends to while it can be scary, it tends to also create a space where now you know what you're working with and you can move forward. But how you deliver that honesty is really important. And we often try to hide from ourselves. So even doing the work to get to know our own truth can be very complex before we even know how to share it with the other person. Um, so I don't know if that's, Probably not the answer you were hoping yeah, well, for, but I no, would say it is a magnifying glass of, of the distance. I can, I can just share with you how that plays out in my situation because I think it's really true. Like, I've been together with my husband for 13 years, but we started out in a unique way just to say that um, we were roommates for several years before that. Um, And he was living in my house, essentially, as a tenant. And so we had some history of him paying me rent to live here. Mm. And when we got together as a couple, it just sort of evolved into a sharing of expenses, but not with a melding of our, you know, of our total finances. And then we got married eight years after that. And sort of didn't change anything. So our system at one point was to look at all the expenses of the house and insurance and all the utilities and whatever else we, the cars, you know, whatever expenses we have together and figure out what it costs us a month to live, divide it in half. And I continue to pay all the bills just because it was that way before. And he gives me a lump sum every month to cover his half of our expenses. And as his kids came to live here, he would increase that amount by, you know, whatever seemed right for the, you know, additional expense of having a child living here. So that kind of works out for us, but where where I can see the 
exactly what you're saying playing out for us is that when whenever we sit down to do our wills um that's where we run into all the creepy feelings about well but who's going to get not the stuff but like like how do we each divide our life insurance i have a child he has three kids like what happens here like what happens to what i inherit from my family and who's going to get whatever like and that's where all the touchy stuff comes up for us it's not in the monthly expenses but it's i can see what you're saying like all those difficult conversations are backed up in a pipeline that make it so that we've been trying for five years to write a will and get it signed and it should be a really simple exercise and it's not at all because i think there's a lot of hidden um you know unconscious stuff that we haven't acknowledged and worked on absolutely absolutely that's a great that's a great story because it comes it shows up the question is where is it going to show up right. right so you guys have figured out a way that works for you on the monthly finances and it's showing up in wills and trusts and yeah. you're aware of that and i love that you're aware of that because that's the first step you know <laughs> Um, but don't make me talk about it. Right? <laughs> no, it's so icky. It is. And there's good reason for that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I, I really get what you're saying. And the piece about identity that you just mentioned is so um, tied into the work that I'm doing with step families with step moms in particular because um the identity your role in the family is so unclear like mm -hmm. at the best of times um it's unclear and you're uh, as a woman the feeling of where you stand in importance to your partner uh, compared to the woman who is the mother of his children is a really really critical emotional piece and that gets translated often into the dollars that absolutely flow. because when you're in the relationship oh of course honey you're the most important person in my life <laughs> yeah you know? otherwise why would why would anyone go into a second marriage right so yeah. there's obviously an emotional sense of some sort of security or importance or identity but it really, the finances really sort of, if that is not a solid, it, it totally crumbles that. Um, well, it's a kick in the teeth every month when the, when the dollars go out of the bank account. Um, and most especially when, you know, here's a, another piece that maybe uh, other families don't deal with who don't have the, the blended aspect, but the idea of what, the other uh the what the ex-wife is spending that money on the choices that someone else is making with money that you feel somehow entitled to because your husband or your partner is earning it um that you know the tremendous aggravation of watching the hard-earned dollars that are going out of your household being spent in what seems to you a, a frivolous or a a useless or a you know not a sensible way on um you know um more toys that they don't need or 
you know, whatever it might be, or that she's, you know, she's getting her hair and her nails done all the time. And you can't afford to do that because your standard of living is so impacted by the financial obligations of your husband. And so then there's, you know, it really um, highlights a very vulnerable place where your own self-worth is potentially really impacted by the fact that someone else is uh, making choices that you don't agree with um, or that are rubbing salt in your wound, let's say. Yeah. This gets a little bit tricky because even as you said, your self and self worth is impacted by someone else. That even that phrase right there is our self worth needs to be impacted by us. It needs to be an internal cultivation of that self worth. And if we think getting our nails done is going to increase our self worth, we've got much bigger problems, right? (laughs) I agree. So, um, Part of what you're talking about here is a concept called differentiation, which is how do we hold on to ourselves in an intimate relationship, um, but still stay in the intimate relationship. And that is really how do we hold on to our self-worth and on our identity and on who we are in the midst of intimacy. And I highly recommend a book by um, David Schnark. It's called Passionate Marriage. And the entire thing is about differentiation. He is a sex therapist. And so he does use sex to illustrate and define differentiation, which I think is brilliant because in the midst of sex, not only are you figuratively naked, you're also literally naked. And so there is, there is nothing else to hide behind in terms of like, oh, maybe he's talking about enmeshment or maybe he's talking about this or that. It is so clear what differentiation is, but, um, you know, this really does circle back to who we believe ourselves to be. And if we all like getting our nails done, I love getting my nails done. There is something that just feels like a good self-care treat around it. Right. And so some of what we're also brushing up against is how do we prioritize, right? If we know that the nails are going to be the thing that holds us onto our sanity in the midst of a rough month, (laughs) maybe it's really smart to have your self-care that month be nails. But to have to have it every single month, now we're playing into issues of identity and self-worth, right? Mm -hmm. And so prioritizing a little bit of fun money that you can use at your discretion every single month for whatever you may need that month is really important, but how you use it, you need to be really smart with. And I think, um, you know, our society is really, at least in the United States, is very susceptible to advertising. And so we, the messages that we receive around us all the time is that if we just had this color fingernail, we'd be pretty and we'd Mm. be good enough. Or if we just drove in this type of car, we would be attractive to people and people would like us. Well, that's a marketing gimmick. And personally, I think it's, you know, bullshit. Like that does not define our worth. It does not define who we are, but we are surrounded by it. So how do we begin to cultivate a sense of self that is not dictated by these messages of spend, spend, spend? Um, How do we not succumb to that? So 
there is, again, complexity even within this world because I do not want to shame getting our nails done. I want to celebrate getting our nails done. But when we're dependent upon it right. to have our own identity, that's where we're brushing up against something else. And I think learning how to prioritize has really gone by the wayside because of marketing and advertising. But even for me, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not exempt from this. So I will, I'll keep in my phone a list of things that I think I want, you know, because <laughs> unconsciously they've been cultivated in my brain based on huh. some commercial or advertisement I've heard. And I, you know, I'll have this tiny bit of budgeted money for kind of miscellaneous spending fun money. And I'll decide, I'll look at the list and I'll decide this month I'm going to get X, Y, Z. And sometimes it's the bottom thing on the list and sometimes it's the top thing on the list. But what is fascinating to me is nine times out of 10, four months later, 90% of that list is still there. In other words, at some point, I thought I really needed a particular item. I thought it would solve all my problems if I just bought XYZ. And then as life develops, when I walk away from that advertising or I realize I have some space from that influence or life has gone on, typically other things have become more important and I've reprioritized something else over that every time. And four months later, I realized that'd be nice. Like if I had all the money in the world, maybe I yeah. might think about that, but I don't actually need it. It's not going to add anything to my lifestyle. It's not going to add anything to my sense of self or my identity and, and I erase it. And so there's, um, I think growing an awareness of how trigger happy we are. We get instantaneous text messages. We get instantaneous emails. We get, we can Google something instantaneously and suddenly have an answer to a question yeah. that we had. It's so kind of ridiculous how we've learned. We have been robbed of the opportunity to learn to wait. And I think that really has an impact on who we believe we are. And sometimes when money is tight and you're aware of how you're spending it on a monthly basis, that really brushes up against that because we can't just go out and buy whatever we want whenever we want it. And again, <laughs> this hopefully illuminates how complex, how much we project our insecurities or our identity onto money and how we try and fill a void with material items that actually isn't materially related. That's such good advice. And I, um, oh, there's so much that I want to say about that, but the learning to wait piece is is really, really important and that it came up for me recently and I'm not going to get into it right now because it's a, it's a long story and a really good one, but, but I did want to say that I think what you're saying translates uh, most specifically for this audience of stepmoms into the idea that if you are feeling especially resentful that the you know that your husband's ex the biological mom of your stepkids is enjoying some a kind of ability to buy stuff that you can't have because there's not enough money in your household whether it's hair or nails or vacations or whatever it might be i think it's really important to look at ways that you can solidify your own sense of of where you fit into the picture of how important you are um, to your partner of solidifying your relationship of finding ways to spend more time together as a couple 
because that kind of latching on to the money piece and saying, it's so not fair that she gets to have this stuff that I want to have. It, it's not about the stuff. It, it's not about the stuff. It's about feeling, you know, second class in some way that you're um, lesser than in some way. And that this is just one way that that message that you're telling yourself is being reinforced in the outside world. And you really need to look for ways to solidify your, uh, your own value to yourself and to your partner. And I would say that I would prioritize whatever um, discretionary income there might be to um, either paying for the babysitting or, you know, paying for the dinner out or whatever it might be for you to have um, more time to be a couple and to get what you need from your relationship with your, with your spouse to fill up your empty tank um, so that you can worry less about, um, about the things that somebody else is, is doing that really shouldn't, they shouldn't be affecting you. Yeah, when we have a strong sense of self and we have, we know who we are and our identity, that's always developing and always processing. So it, I believe it's a process of discovery. But when we have a strong foundation in that, we don't care if someone else is getting their nails done. Exactly. It, it doesn't even come up on our radar. Exactly. But relationships are all about intimacy. There's emotional intimacy, there's physical intimacy, there's intellectual intimacy, there's spiritual intimacy. And guess what? There's financial intimacy and we try and we tend to avoid it like the plague. And I would say if we can try and bear those feelings of shame or embarrassment or the yuckiness that we started the conversation acknowledging, mm -hmm. there can be so much goodness and beauty and authenticity and vulnerability that brings people together in that. And people will prioritize date night and they'll prioritize sex and they'll prioritize entertainment, but where do they prioritize those vulnerable conversations that are so difficult, either about their own story and their own woundings or finances? Those are the things that draw us together. Those are the things that keep us together. And when we have that with our partner, we're not going to give a shit about whether someone <laughs> else is getting their nails done. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, on that note, on that note, I think we're going to wrap up this conversation, but we obviously have to do this again because I think you have a lot to to bring to this, you know, conversation. And I would love to talk to you again and maybe we'll get some, you know, specific advice that you were just talking about for for couples to work through these kind of absolutely conversations yeah, so let's do totally do that well I thank you so that. much tamison tell us again the name of your podcast so that people can follow it up it's fantastic listen by the way oh thank you that's very kind of you yes it's called the psychology of money with tamison thomas it's available wherever podcasts are available and it's green with white writing and um i if you need a real easy place to go if you can't find it on your podcast um I guess, however you listen, um, you can go to the psychology of money podcast.com. Oh, cool. um, just, 
that is also available and all the episodes are on there. It is the psychology of money podcast.com. Um, someone had already stole the psychology of money.com. <laughs> so I had Dang. to add podcast in there, but that is, that is available there. And, um, there is actually a free ebook on my website. If you would like it, it's called the three steps to resolving financial conflict. And, um, it's an ebook and it, you know, maybe we can talk about it next time, but there are some helpful steps into under illuminating some of the complexity and some steps into helping resolve financial conflict. Great. There and I think free. that's available for tamazandthomas.com. Is that right? Yeah. Tamazandthomas.com. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to link those things in the show notes for this podcast okay. so people can find it there too. But thanks again so much. This was a pleasure. Yeah, you're welcome. I had a lot of fun. I would love to continue the conversation. So good work with what oh, you're doing. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Good news, listeners. I've already booked two more interviews with Tamazin for future episodes. Watch for those coming out in March and April. Meanwhile, I encourage you to go ahead and get her free download called Three Steps to Resolving Financial Conflict by visiting tamazinthomas.com and I'll put the link for that in the show notes. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to rate or review us on iTunes. That's the very best way you can help other high-performing alternative thinking stepmoms to stumble onto this show and discover a community of like-minded listeners around the world. According to Anchor FM, the platform I'm recording on, we're being heard now in 36 countries. I find that really exciting. If you're a social media kind of person, you're welcome to join my Facebook community by sending a join request to The Spectacular Stepmom. If you'd rather just get a more intimate weekly email from me, send me a message with the subject weekly email to info at essentialstepmom.com. Finally, I'd love to hear from you with questions or comments or situations you'd like me to address on this podcast. You can leave a voice message right here or Thank you.